0: I felt like I didn't even know boarding schools existed till I got to Harvard. I'm mm. like, you know, in Wisconsin, like everybody went to public school. There was like one Catholic school, and everybody, right? I like I was mildly aware that private schools existed, but boarding schools, I was like, what? You know? And so yeah. it was just like a bit of a culture shock for me. And then it was interesting. That's when I I started getting into like I think not being around Spanish a lot. I I, mm. I didn't realize how much that was a part of. Me and my, my yeah. environment, and and so I started gravitating towards taking like Latin American literature, and Latin American mm. history, and um, and then I decided to become a history and literature major in in, Sp- in uh, Latin America, focusing on Latin Got America. Hey, the Brazil,
1: me, New York, I know you, yeah. Everybody, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of La Mezcla. My name is Adrian Burke or Adrian Burke. I am the uh, the creator and host of this program. I'm so happy to have you here. If you're a new listener, thank you for being here. I love you already. Uh please subscribe on everything and like on Instagram and Facebook and all that bullshit. If you're an OG fan, uh, I love you too. Please uh review it on iTunes and tell people about the show. Uh and uh, for all of you, for anybody listening to this, we have a live variety comedy show version of La Mezcla going up at the Cap on the Lower East Side of Manhattan on March 19th at 7pm. The ticket link is in the description to this episode. It's also in the Instagram bio and on the Facebook page and all that shit. Uh, So please buy tickets in advance because they're cheaper and come out and support some super dope mixed and first generation artists who are going to do some super cool shit for you. Uh, So without further ado, let's get into this week's guest. Our guest this week is the wonderful, wonderful Andrea Tom. Andrea is a Chilean and Costa Rican playwright. She was born here in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Her plays have been performed all over the city, but I met her specifically through an amazing, truly beautiful uh, new play that she wrote along with her collaborators called Fandango for Butterflies and Coyotes. Uh, It just closed at La Mama Theater Club on the uh, the Lower East Side of Manhattan, but is uh, currently in the middle of a five-borough tour, uh, which is super, super awesome. It's a really beautiful story that centers the experiences of undocumented immigrants here in the United States. I really can't say enough uh, glowing things about this production. All of the actors, the writing, the production, just uh, kudos to everyone involved. I'm, like, very still blown away by that show. Uh, And we should all be supporting more theater like that and not... um, uh, the bullshit that is currently on Broadway. Sorry, I'll say it. Uh, but anyway, my axe to grind notwithstanding, I was so excited to talk to Andrea today um, about her upbringing, about the way she's moved all over the country and, and honing her, her voice as an artist and to uh, moving to New York and uh, making it happen and, and to her, her her beautiful work that I saw with La Mama. It was a great wide-ranging conversation and I think you guys are uh, I think you guys are really going to like it. So please give it a listen and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, so uh, so hello. hello. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am so excited. I'm so excited about this. Uh, cuz I uh, we'll get into it, but I just want to preface by saying like i loved your show so much. Uh, and I was uh, really... Just like uh, the whole process of booking you for this interview, I was just like, oh, this is cool that like somebody I don't know who made something that I super admire, like I get to talk to now. I think oh, that's awesome.
0: Thank you for coming, really. It, it makes me very happy oh, my it, God. that you came.
1: It was the best. It was the best. I can't wait for everybody to know about it. So let's start it the way I start them all. Uh, so please introduce yourself uh, to uh, my fan base, whom I call my mom's friends, because virtually nobody <laughs> listens to this podcast. Uh, so just uh, introduce yourself and say uh, wh- where your parents are from. What your mix is, and just like a quick background.
0: Uh, my name's Andrea Tom. Hello, um, hello. <laughs> um, I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, also in Chile, and a little bit in it, just all over. My so I was also called Andrea a lot. Okay. And Andrea, if you want to be right. real, <laughs> but yes, um, yes. so I feel like that's my nickname. But but Andrea is closer to what mm-hmm. my parents call me. And um, um, my mom is from Chile my dad is a mix. He's uh, So I'm a big mutt because uh-huh. she's Chilean. My dad is half Costa Rican. His mom is from Costa Rica. And his okay. dad was an orphan sailor from Philadelphia Whoa. who ended up you know, looking for work, um, ended up in Costa Rica. met my grandmother. And wow. his background was...
1: But he was originally from Philly?
0: Yeah. But he was born in Philly, but his parents were immigrants from Alsatia. I was like okay. Germ- between Germany and France. But Got it. they spoke German. Mm-hmm. So my last name, Tom, is from him. so But it's funny because it's this last name where I think in German it's actually supposed to be Tome, which would be a much easier way to pronounce it in, in Spanish, Spanish. But yeah. then I think in Philadelphia, you know, they got turned into Thome And then in, when you went to Costa Rica... You know, Spanish speakers have a hard time saying T-H, so it became Tom, yeah. but they kept the sign. Well, he's a gringo, so I to speak Tom. But I was like, if you guys just went back to the original, Tom, it would yeah. be just easier for everybody That's and more so correct. so funny. What a, like, so. a
1: classic distillation of the way, like, this country <laughs> just, like, makes things into their own specific monster. Yeah,
0: you know I mean? yeah. So it's, like, funny because it's the the name that I carry, but it's really the part of the family I have know the least about. Because yeah. none of his brothers and sisters had kids. I met one of his sisters once, just before she died, sweet old lady, you know, was 93, worked for the phone company in Philadelphia, mm. didn't have kids. But I don't know anything about that side of the family. So yeah. it's funny that that's the name. You know, I'm like, okay.
1: I'm kind of <laughs> similar. I mean, I know a little bit more about the because my last name is Burke. Like because the other – one half of the family is Peruvian. The other half of the family is like super Irish. Um, and the Irish side of the family I also know outside of – some cousins like very little about our history or all that stuff but it is very much the name that i that, right and that how, i like, walk through life with see you yeah. they, or
0: they, they they see that name and they have certain ideas yeah i mean walk. my
1: mom's main name is testino if that was my last name like my life would probably be completely different yeah it's yeah. funny to think about that yeah no, so how did you did your parents meet in so, wisconsin no, or
0: so it's so my entire family uh especially my dad's side has always been Back and forth and back. There's just so much migration all the time. Like uh-huh. like I was joking the other day. I was like, oh, I realized my dad. I mean, my, my dad's dad, my grandfather, migrated to Central America looking for work. You know, now there's all the Central Americans have been migrating here for a long time. Right. But there's, you know, this how horribly we're treating Central Americans migrating here. And I'm like, he migrated to Costa Rica because he was a poor penniless orphan <laughs> looking for work. And and this they, is like around they, what like years? 1920. Yeah. I mean, long yeah, time yeah. Ago. he was he was like you know, he was in the First World War and he was a merchant hmm. marine and you know, he was my my dad is older and I'm older. But um yeah, so and he was received with open arms, you know. Yeah. So but my dad so they were there in Costa Rica till all of my all my mom all my dad's mother's family is there. All my mm-hmm. abuelita says they're like, go back Hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, it's just they're so mixed in, like mm. a mix of Spanish and indigenous and Sephardic Jews that converted at some point. My, one of my aunts made that discovery, which of course shocked my really Catholic aunt. And I was sure. like, Ha-ha-ha! that'll do it. That'll <laughs> like, do it. Be shocked. The <laughs> um, Loria name, which is my grandmother's name, is apparently one of these converso Jewish names. Really? So, like, oh, interesting. Um, so, and there's a lot of conversos that went to Costa Rica. They they would, they the part of my family that you can trace back went in like the 1500s and, wow. and it was like a backwater, so a lot of people went there because it was farther from the centers of power of the colony the colonial government, the Inquisit, where the Inquisition was also based in Latin right. America was like in Mexico in Peru you know these yeah. center the, the, the rich centers of power Costa Rica's little farming backwater up in the mountains hard to get to so, so it became kind of a haven you're more isolated it was yeah. more of a haven so, but then ever since then you know. Just mixing and being there, and then so they were there until my dad was about twelve, and then my um, my grandfather, I think he had, but at that point, been working for, found a job with the United Fruit Company, which was, you know, a terrible exploitative <laughs> corporation <laughs> sure, that basically sure. <laughs> sucked resources out of Central America and uh, and fired him just before he became eligible for a pension. Oh as my God! Those as they do, as do. they do. So he said, okay, let's. We're going to go to Los Angeles and look for work. So he brought the family up to LA, and then my dad grew up in LA, and then. But always kept connecting with Latin America. He would go back to Costa Rica in the summers. There's a whole mm. branch of my Costa Rican family that lives in Mexico because one of my grandmother's ten brothers and sisters married a Mexico. They all, all of her brothers and sisters, wow. especially the women, all almost all of them married somebody outside. So there's interesting. Somebody in Mexico. Somebody went married a German guy. Somebody married an Irish, you know, guy from Boston. It was just like. They went all over. That's it, yeah, so Irish
1: guy from Boston is yeah. my, my dad. <laughs> there, okay, well, maybe it <laughs> That's was your, what my mom did.
0: your dad? <laughs> it might yeah, have been. Dad. <laughs> it might have been. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> we, might, we might be cousins. We don't know. <laughs> that would be insane. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, so then they went to L.A. My dad grew up there, and then he kept, um, at one point, he just always would get jobs where he could work in Latin America in some way. He was in Colombia for a while. He was in Brazil. Mm. And he, one of these jobs, he ended up in Chile and met my, grand, my met my mother, and and on one of those jobs. On one of those ones. And what type of work there. was So this? he was doing, he ended up going to law school and he would do a lot of like um, different kinds of law related to Latin America, but but uh, land reform particularly. Okay. So agrarian reform. Mm. You know, uh, finding more equitable ways to distribute land and yeah. you know, commie Yeah. Yeah. So but he was there and then I don't know, I think he had made friends with a cousin of my mom's and that cousin invited my dad over and for dinner or something to my mom's, like my grandmother's so house. So how the,
1: uh, how, excuse my French, how the fuck do they end up in Wisconsin?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> weird, right? So apparently the center one that he was doing this research, it's one of these projects with, or working yeah. one of these programs with, was based out of the University of Wisconsin. It was uh, called the Land Tenure Center, which is like Land Reform Center. Yeah. So when he married my mom, he brought her back to Madison cuz they had wow. and they had offered him a job also at the law school they're teaching. And
1: had she already been to the states or was her introduction <laughs> so Madison, heard, Madison Wisconsin? No,
0: so I heard on your last or one of your one of your podcasts. Thank you for listening. realizing that almost nobody does. Me and your mom's friends. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. <laughs> so that that um, that like your guest and you I guess found out that your mom had a previous marriage yes. so I found that out too uh, and my mom had been previously married to some a Chilean guy uh-huh. who took her up to Indiana who I guess was studying there and was just horrible and terrible sure. and Yes, she basically mm-hmm. escaped very that.
1: similar to my mom's story yeah and yeah. he
0: was just this abusive guy and she escaped so she had been in Indiana before and I was like and you trusted this guy to, take <laughs> to you
1: go to, to Wisconsin,
0: Wisconsin? <laughs> I'm like what are you thinking <laughs> wow but I don't know I guess she thought he was nice and um, I remember her saying, "I saw him coming up the walk to the house. And I thought, I like his nose." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, that's that's what did it for you, all right." So yeah, so she brought he brought her up there, wow. and then I was born there. But when I was like two months old, we because basically uh, Salvador Allende had been elected president in Chile, mm-hmm. so and he was the first democratically elected socialist government, and right. um, which was very exciting for a lot of people. My dad was excited, and and he. Um, got a project working also with agrarian reform because they were doing a lot of redistribution of land, got it. stuff trying to like break up the big landowners a bit and um, right. and programs so you know related to that. So he said, let's he got a uh, basically a project working with the government the Allende government. And mm. so we went back to Chile. But then, of course, we were there. Then the military coup happened. Yes. <laughs> My sister was born over we in Chile, and, and then shit went then down. And shit went down, <laughs> and we had to go Oof. and, you know, burning papers at night and stuff. And uh, and then and, you know, that's a whole other can of worms because you know, like a lot of Chileans, they have family. Yeah, uh, it's a very Chile is very split place, right? So a lot of a lot of times within a family, you have a lot of very extreme opinions and, yeah. and experiences but we had family that was killed and exiled and we have family that supported the coup and right we were more on the left so you know my mom was kicked out of her job and we we had to leave but um or we we left but we weren't exiled we didn't have to leave under duress mm. like a lot of people did yeah um but uh, we left um and moved back to wisconsin wow which was a very Contrasting sort of place. Yeah. So,
1: hey, all of my you know uh, d- white American comedian friends who listen to this show, maybe don't whine so much when you fight with your parents about politics. <laughs> <laughs>
0: because, like, this is an example
1: of uh, actual actual intra family disputes that like have uh, real life stakes. Yeah. Like yeah. like
0: I have one uncle who like well, his son was was killed unfortunately in the in the coup. But mm. he you know like I, there's a whole story about him going to a wedding with another. Uncle's family and one of those relatives had deported. and so just in the middle of the reception, just yelling oh. "assassino," you know, wow. just like yeah. really, just like murderers, you know. It 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 gets very intense in Chile, yeah. and as it is right now in yeah. Chile. But I, I mean, think... shit,
1: uh, all of all of South America and yeah. Central America right now. Yeah. I was just I live uh, in uh, in Washington Heights on uh, in Inwood. Close hey, hey, I neighbor. live I live right. Maybe I shouldn't disclose. My cross street, but <laughs> we can talk about
0: it, later. <laughs> yeah.
1: But there was a there was a big because uh, of the the Dominican elections. Yeah. There was a huge protest like right on my block yeah. uh, this weekend. Uh, it was massive. It was super super beautiful. Uh, I just have a real soft spot for when people organize. Me like too. That. I love Me it.
0: too. There's hope. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I hope so. <laughs> people believe that things can change at least. Yeah. you know? <laughs> So
1: let's uh, so let's talk about. So you're what years are you in Chile and what years are you back in the states?
0: So basically, 71 to 73, we're in Chile. Okay. So I was just just born, and then we went to Chile, and then we left like in late 73. The coup was in September of 70, September eleventh, nineteen 1973. So. Mm. That's the first night, the 9 11 I lived through. Then I mm. got to live through another one. I was like, what's up with this date? Yeah, and something me? weird. What's about happening? It. Something weird about it. So, um, yeah. And then I lived in Wisconsin until I was 17, until. Uh, yeah and then it was So went to the, those
1: beautiful formative years. Bur- beautiful formative years. So talk to yes. me about that. What was that like <laughs> being this like this mixed Latina woman yeah. growing up in Wisconsin which I can't imagine at the time was no, terribly were diverse. No, not very many. No, yeah. it's still not terribly diverse. Sure. There's a
0: lot more Latinos now. Like there's a lot of Mexicanos in Madison. Like there's uh-huh. actually good Mexican food now in okay. Madison which you would never. We had Taco Johns growing up. Taco Johns. That's how people said it. Taco <laughs> Johns. Yeah. <laughs> and um I was like yeah then there was like one good Mexican place that opened but uh Yeah, it was, you know, and it's, it's funny because Wisconsin is actually full of immigrants. Like it's a very, in a way it's weirdly ethnic, um, like there's tons of Norwegians and Mm. tons of Germans and tons of Polish people, a lot of Scandinavians and there's like whole towns. So there's like a little town near Madison called Mount Horeb and it's super Norwegian and they're really, it's a Norwegian pride and they have like trolls everywhere. Interesting. And like we had like a whole unit on Norway and making Mm. trolls and So you learn about all these – you have people who, like, hang on to their language and culture in a way. It's really funny because – that have been here for 150 years. Mm. But then there's all this criticism. Why don't the Spanish people learn English that, you know, the Spanish speakers? I'm like, you're still speaking Norwegian? Like, what's the problem? They they did the national anthem in German and Norwegian and stuff in, like, 1900 to help people assimilate. But do you remember about 10 years ago they did – They released a national anthem, a recording of it in Spanish, and all these people people freaked out. out. I'm like, dude, your ancestors were learning it, and they're like, it's like, they're trying to, anyway.
1: Always, oh, is the, 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 those those people that we are talking about only react to a non-English language when it's brown people doing it. Exactly. <laughs> like if, exactly. if it's German, they're like, oh, interesting. interesting. I like beer and How pretzels. Culturally
0: like, interesting. Yes, yes. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Let's open a restaurant.
1: Or yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But the, but, you know, so Wisconsin is is super white and it's very blonde as well. Right. Mm. So I also I look very white, but like for Wisconsin. I was still like I didn't look like a Wisconsinite. Right. So there was this was like the typical question I would get. So like, what are you? What are you? Are are you Jewish? Are you Italian? And I would say, Well, no, my parents are from Latin America They would say you don't look Mexican. Yeah, I say okay. Wait. I got the
1: same thing when I was like, a kid. And I, I didn't
0: say it was Mexican. I could be Mexican, yeah. but yeah, I
1: got. I mean, granted, I like look like the whitest human on planet Earth, but like I any any time I even mentioned South America or Peru or whatever, people would be like, oh, so, so so Mex Mexican because <laughs> it just for un- it's just I feel a- like up until five years ago. Everybody thought that anybody who spoke Spanish is either from Spain or Mexico.
0: Yeah, and also that also they think Mexico's in South America. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you're South American, you're Mexican. I'm like, first of all, Mexico's that's, in North America. Not it's, not America. <laughs> <is> North America. <laughs> it's not what that is. Not even South America. Mexico is North America. not what that means. <laughs> and also, I didn't say it was Mexican. Yeah. I'm Chilean and Costa Rican. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, so it was,
1: was it a kind of... And were your parents more on the like assimilator track, or were they more like, we're, were all about our culture?
0: Um... I mean, it's a
1: spectrum. It doesn't have to be a binary.
0: I mean, I think in some ways they couldn't because, like, my dad was grew up, because he grew up in L.A. since he was 12, he was more comfortable. He was super bicultural. My dad Mm -hmm. is really comfortable in Latin America and really comfortable in the U.S. And he loves, like, being in that in between, and, and or really not in between, almost like inclusive space of yeah. both of those exist. And so he was always really excited. He would invite any Latinos in Madison, you know, or there were people who would get brought to the university, some refugees, also people escaping other military dictatorships. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they would find ways to bring, you know, get them to, like, give them a student visa so they could come, although the U.S. government was pretty bad, like, pretty horrible about letting Chileans into the U.S., mm-hmm. but certain groups within, like the Quakers or or universities would uh, find ways to help Chileans come, right? Right. But also people from other parts. So he would, like, have them all over and we'd have a party in the living room and roll back the rug and get out the guitars and, wow, you know. Wow, that's amazing. So, um, but it felt a little bit like uh, anybody who speaks Spanish was like, could fit in my living room, mm. you know. And some, there were a few kids. They weren't always my age, Yeah. Um, me and my sister's age. So it felt like something that – and my mom. My mom's first language is – I mean, both my parents' first language is Spanish. My mom is – much more fluent in Spanish, and she, she's very bilingual now. But mm. especially growing up, right, her Spanish was much stronger. So my parents always spoke to each other in Spanish, and then my dad would kind of speak to us mostly in English. My mom would speak to us mostly in Spanish, and we would respond in English. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, um, so it would, but it felt very much something that happened in my house because there was like there just wasn't any.
1: Yeah, there weren't like, things to like, like reach a out and grab outside,
0: yeah. except for like these individual few families that we knew there wasn't a lot of like
1: but it sounds like your family was was building that
0: well i think in a way you know my mom i think it happens too to particularly when you have to leave a country or or you feel a pressure to leave and you don't necessarily want to leave Mm. um my mom was very very close to her family in chile and Always was so tied to them and so really missed that. I think she also really missed that sense of home and, mm. and sense of being growing up with all of your ex- in Santiago. It's like people go to college, they don't leave home. Everybody just lives at home till they get married. Right. And you have all your everybody, whoever knew you, is nearby. Yeah. And So for her to then go to Madison, Wisconsin, <laughs> it's like, God, but I also can't culturally, imagine. it's so different, right? Yeah, people are very imagine. reserved and very <laughs> friendly, but not warm necessarily, you know, yeah, it's no, sort of I like
1: completely understand
0: polite, but not necessarily warm. Um A lot of good people, but also a lot of like reserve that a lot of judgment sometimes. Yeah. About I being mean, I grew up here loud. in the
1: Northeast and that's how I always, like, granted I was born here, but like from having spent so much time in Peru and like feeling that stark difference, I think w- you hit the nail on the head with warmth. Like mm. it's, it, I can't think of a better way to categorize it than like, it's just a difference in Warmth, uh, yeah. and I, also I remember like going to I remember going to school dances and having like the the atmosphere in the room would be like so pressurized and like weirdly like sexualized in bad ways and just like it's this high pressure like awful environment. Whereas in any Latin country, like dancing is like how you say hello to yeah. somebody. <laughs> it's just
0: like part of social behavior. Yeah, in so I way. think
1: warmth is kind of, is kind of a great way yeah. to put it.
0: Drinking was that way too. I have to say, oh, like mm. because in in like. In my high school, you know, a lot of kids like parents wouldn't right can't get into the liquor cabinet, so it's like drinking is a big thing, dude. And I'm like, I don't know, my in Latin America, I was like, in Costa Rica, there's no drinking. Yeah. like I go to parties, you could get it, and and it wasn't a big deal. And my dad would let me try beer or wine and. It's like it that. Not, it's that
1: long-standing puritanical influence. Yeah. Not that those types of like damaging mores don't exist in right. Latin there's, America. There's other ways of being fucked oh, up. Yes yes, <laughs> yes. yes, 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 absolutely. But
0: yeah, at least like alcohol isn't this t- huge building right. mystery. It's not right. such a big deal. But yeah. So were
1: you already at that age, like when you're in Wisconsin, are you already uh, into like writing and performing, or did that come later?
0: I so we. <laughs> My first role was as Charlotte in Charlotte's <laughs> Web. Wow! The third grade, oh, titular whatever character. you call it, yes, which we performed in the cafeteria because <laughs> it was a cafeteria auditorium. <laughs> That's great. And I was cast because my name was picked out of a hat. So wow! <laughs> but I did love that. And but then when uh oh, in in sec when I was in second grade, we actually went to live in Spain for a year. Oh! So my dad got another. You know, my dad loved to travel, any excuse to yeah. to leave. My mom would be like, "Hi, Joe, I'm just getting settled, you know, <laughs> and we would go. And uh, and it was like Fran- Franco had just died in yeah. Spain, and, and it was like this time of turbulence and excitement. So, yes. and my sister and I came back speaking like, gracias, vale, 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 and all our <laughs> children just made fun of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but there I had learned, I had done some dance. I had started to dance, and so I came back really wanting to dance. So I ended up going to like our neighborhood ballet studio um oh, which nice. had an amazing amazing teacher and actually all these professional dancers came out of that the people who joined i, lo- ABT I, really, and, can't, you know, I really
1: can't say enough for any small town arts educator yeah. like i think those people are so important
0: in yeah. a way that we do charmaine not risto i'm going to say her name yes. because she was charmaine amazing risto yeah all right yeah and she was just incredible and and i think taught me actually a lot about well so much but also the discipline that you need that um just, just it had to move your body. And so when I got into theater, mm. there was also this um, free or very cheap um, summer children's theater program called Children's Theater of Madison that would do this intense program for a month in the summer. And they came to my school in fourth grade and told us about it. And then that summer I tried out for it, and and that became my world. And so and I loved the movement class. You know, I was always like into dance and movement. Um, yeah. But we would put on a show, and it was kids from like you know eight to eighteen. And, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, the, the director of kind of, you know, a little bit of a parody of a, of a like. Sure. Small t- state <laughs> Sure. Character. Oh, I. Very. Be- so- believe
1: me, I've encountered my fair share of those. Right. I right. used to, uh, Not I'm not going to name names because I don't want to yeah, shade anybody. Neither, but I either. used to teach for a program that was uh, full of that type.
0: <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, moments of grandiosity and moments of like, I'm going to shame you, child, for yes. breaking character. Yes, from, yes. I'm like, I'm 10. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and, <You know? laughs> and moments of
1: insisting that there is a right way to, yeah. to do theater, which yeah, is the most subjective exactly. thing in the world.
0: Exactly. So, but, you know, we all have stories. And, and in the end, I'm grateful because it was I met a great community of people. I actually learned a lot. Yeah. So I was started. So that kind of gave me this. So dance
1: book. became theater. And then, yeah. were you uh, were you writing from jump, or I, did I was acting a secret become a
0: writer? No, mm. I never was one of those kids like I'm going to be a playwright. Yeah. You know, I was I would write poems in secret. I loved creative writing. Mm. I loved reading. I was a totally nerdy yeah. reader. Just put me with a book for hours, and I didn't have to do. I would just go into my fantasy world and and be there. But I loved. But I had a lot of. Physical, and I you know, I'm fidgeting in this chair because I'm yeah. always like moving around. My husband jokes that I should wear a hula hoop because I my hands flap around so much when I talk. And he's like, that's the safety zone. People I, need to stay. Know, maybe that's why hoop.
1: people thought you were Italian.
0: Exactly. <laughs> the hand talking. Exactly. <laughs> totally hand talking. Yeah. So so yeah. So I did I did shows basically through, mostly through that company, and then they did you know they had a whole season too. They would do with, with yeah. adults and kids, and and then I, the University of Wisconsin sometimes would do shows where they needed kids. I would. You were that kid? I I did just like two shows.
1: Ah, that's amazing though. It was really fun. To get to to work with the older kids.
0: Yeah, you get to hang out with the college students Mm -hmm. and one of them was this amazing show called The Me Nobody Knows which was Mm -hmm. built out of poems done by like teachers working with like inner city school kids in New York City in the 70s. Okay, The Me Nobody
1: Knows? Yeah, and they made a musical
0: out of it which is actually gorgeous. Wow. The music is beautiful and all the writing is basically by kids. Um, That was really, that really like Stayed with me for my whole life. I, I think that. that's part of so why it was we'll kind. Of it was like kind
1: of like documentary theater. Yeah, that's yeah. Very except cool. that
0: they wrote it. It was creative writing by. Oh, got it. By these kids, and but it was about all kinds of things. One kid wrote this poem about heroin and about addiction, and another mm-hmm. kid writes about you know the sky. You know, so it, it's this beautiful about an apple tree growing like a collage in the Yeah, it's of kind them. of a collage, and the music is gorgeous, and it's really hard to find now. And I'm like. It's a beautiful piece. Wow, if anybody
1: listening yeah. knows how to find send that, please, please send it to me.
0: Yeah, and then they, they did, you know, Peter Pan or something. And, I, of course, I was cast as an Indian because they Ugh, didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and it was all the rest of the the, car- the kids playing, Indian's Well College kids. And they, several of them didn't know I was in eighth grade until, like, into like the run. The show is almost over. And they'd be like offering me beer. One of them when he found out, freaked out. I'm like, don't worry. And he's and, like, you're 13. And then you were like,
1: don't worry. In Chile, at school."
0: It's cool, man. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. But it was really fun. That's
1: awesome. So how do you make your way to New York then?
0: So... Yeah, that was a bit of a, of a circuitous route. I ended up going to college in Boston and okay. Cambridge. and Where at? And I went to Harvard. Oh, got the, it. I went to BU. Oh, hello. I am your, I am your dumb cousin <laughs> across probably, the river. No, 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 There are so many idiots at Harvard. I'm oh, talking. yes. Believe me. Believe <laughs> me. I've many met many smart people. Have, yeah, yes. many, many, many people. I, I don't believe in the Harvard mystique thing at all. There's just... For
1: sure. I mean, I've spent enough time in Boston. I was born in Boston, too. Okay. Um, but I, we moved down here when I was like a year and a half old. So I don't really consider myself from there, yeah. um, but I, I've spent enough time there to know that the whole like Harvard people are, it's are, are it's, honestly it's amazing bullshit. is like such no, bullshit. No, no, it
0: totally is, and it's, it's ridiculous. So. You know, I, I went there partly, I think, cause, like, my dad was so excited. <laughs> I was like, but I really wanted to go to Wesleyan I mean, when ooh, I also got uh, in, which actually would have been a better fit for me. Yeah. But I went there kind of. Uh, I mean, it's
1: a as far as the area that it's in, like, it's beautiful. I love, like, Harvard Square and, like, that whole yeah, area Cambridge and whatnot. Yeah, really So what did you, did you go for writing? So,
0: no, no, I never thought of myself as a writer. Mm. I, I was really into acting, and I actually really wanted to, like, try out for an acting school and that was my thing so you went to like the art program but no but that because that's a grad program so as an undergrad they're so pretentiously academic that like they're like you that is too professional to major in acting we don't have an acting major so so which in a way now i'm like well in a way it was good because i i was i floated around trying to figure out what my major was but all of the theater that's done at harvard Mm. is all done extracurricularly it's mm. all done by students. It's all produced by students. On the undergrad
1: uh, level. On the undergrad level. Yeah. Um,
0: because, they, you know, they have a professor. there's a pre- professional right. company, ART, yes. there, but that's nothing to do with the students. Right. I mean, maybe the grad students a little bit, but – so what it did was forced us to have to become – take initiative and and become theater producers. Yes. That's and, kind of and, similar
1: to how... Because I didn't major in acting either. I majored in film, but I did all of the student-run theater. Yeah. And that was how I sort of, like, not found my voice or whatever, but, like, stayed with it.
0: That's how you learn a lot, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's also things you learn from, you know, having teachers and yeah, stuff like that. that. But real I, was, faculty. I mean, they had a few. They had a few classes, right? Yeah. But um, but it's. It, I, I actually was really unsettled there for like I wasn't happy there, and mm. I actually decided to take a year off. So in the middle of my sophomore year, I left just
1: because of like the whole like I just
0: didn't feel,
1: atmosphere. I, I, yeah, of
0: the school. I felt like I didn't even know boarding schools existed till I got to Harvard. I'm Mm. like, you know, in Wisconsin, like everybody went to public school. There was like one Catholic school and everybody Right. I like I was mildly aware that private schools existed, but boarding schools, I was like, what? You know, and so it was just like a bit of a culture shock for me. And then it was interesting. That's when I I started getting into like I think not being around Spanish a lot. I I, Mm. I didn't realize how much that was a part of me and my my environment and and so I started gravitating towards taking like Latin American literature and Latin Mm. American history and and then I decided to become a history and literature major in in uh, Latin America, focusing on Latin America I think part of it's like me trying to find something that felt closer that I could connect to in that place. Totally, totally. The other thing about Harvard is that So they have amazing resources, you know, great financial aid, great library, great people teaching there and all that. But it's not a really necessarily a great undergraduate experience. Like Mm. they don't – they kind of throw you in and you kind of have to figure it out.
1: Yeah, to circle back to an earlier point in this conversation, there's a lack of warmth. Lack of warmth. Mm.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that's why, like, old Wesleyan, like a small liberal arts college was probably a better fit for me. um, So – you, you know, they—they think their philosophy is a little like, "We'll throw you in the pool, see if you swim. If you get to the other side, and you—you you manage to like." Then you're, Har- creep then out, you're Exhausted, woman. they're like, "See yeah. what we taught you, yeah. <laughs> Harvard <laughs> woman." I'm like, "Uh, you didn't teach me shit." But yeah. uh, so I left and I went to Seattle. I just, my boyfriend at the time was going to school out there, University of Washington, doing acting, and mm. and um. I just worked at Pike Place Market selling really terrible smelling sachets, nice, and really gaudy jewelry. <laughs> okay, um, for a lady who had a booth there and um, <laughs> watching the guys throw fish back and forth, doing the cool <laughs> stuff. Um, and then you know worked. You know I just had a bunch of random. I worked at this old movie theater called the Neptune, and I started taking um, acting classes at this studio called, um, at the time, Pasqualini Smith, now called Freehold, and they're still around. And they were amazing. That's where I found the teachers I needed. Okay, Robin Lynn yeah. Smith, Eventually, it happens. Eventually it happened. Eventually I'm still trying to
1: find yeah. mine. I've had a couple, but I'm trying to find my like people who are really gonna like make a click.
0: Yeah, the people who kind of challenge you and yeah, calling on stuff. And so I did a lot of theater during that. Year. That's awesome.
1: Then and then to, then you went to New York after that.
0: No, then I, <laughs> I went to Chile for two months, hang out with my grandma. Okay, and, uh, yeah. and actually, my my teacher Robin in in Seattle was like. Because at the time it was Harvard Radcliffe, so if you were a woman, you you got a degree from Radcliffe and Harvard. It oh, wasn't okay. they weren't separated; they were together. Like it wasn't okay. segregated, like it was in the seventies, but. Um, but you got a degree from both, and now they've made Radcliffe just this institute, and everybody's just Harvard. And I'm like, you should keep the Radcliffe. <laughs> for all the Disney. Harvard administrators who listen to this show, yeah, take hey, note, people, <laughs> <take note. laughs> your mom's friends. You know? <laughs> um, no, but I. I but anyway, Rob was like, get your ass back there. You don't have to do what they say. Make your own major. Make your own. You know, use their resources. So I was like, oh, okay. So, I um, went to like be with my grandma for two months, mm. and then I went back in like January. What, to finish my sophomore year. And mm-hmm. I said, okay, I'm going to try to make my own major. And I want to be in like – I was like, well, what can I – what have I taken classes in that I can get credit for for this major? And then yeah. what, what can I do some theater in this? And so I kind of created this major – which the most ridiculous name ever. It was like, dramatic expression in the Americas. An anthropological view. <laughs> like, basically, I want oh to look God, at theater. Academics. academics. It's like, what yeah. do I have to say to get this yeah, to be, approved? I right? love that.
1: I relate to that so heavy of like, how can I wedge the shit I love to do into this, like, totally. existing structure? Yeah,
0: because I was had Robin's voice in my head. Like, use their resources. How do you create your own thing? And And so, then I was able to take classes in theater in Latin America and then I did for my my I didn't I didn't want to write a thesis uh, so I did a a play I took like a Garcia Marquez story and mm. adapted it for the stage and and worked oh, with that's people awesome. and, and it was fun and then I met a bunch of folks mm. that did a bunch of theater with and two of them graduated a year before me because I had taken this year off and went off to San Francisco to start a theater company called mm. the Red Rocket Theater and I graduated and Went there okay. and joined them, and also two of my best friends from Madison who had gone to Berkeley. Yeah. So the five of us started this company called the Red Rocket Theater, and we just started making theater. Shout-outs, Red Rocket Theater. Red Rocket Theater. Yeah, so we had it for five years, and and it was all original plays. So we wrote, wrote like, 22 plays and. In five years, which wow. was insane, because we had to pay the rent on our yeah. space, which is the first time and only time playwriting paid the rent. You
1: paid your rent on playwriting. No, we tried. No, We tried. We we basically <laughs> I was had to. Shocked. It was more that we had to. I was we shocked. had
0: yeah. That will never happen <laughs> yeah, ever. <no. laughs> but um, we had to pay. We had to put up a play like every two months, just at least. Yeah. But then we were also like, oh. Three to five dollars sliding scale, four to eight dollars. Right. No problems you yeah. can't pay, you know. Mad
1: hippie, was, shit. I hippie shit. I and love it. I love it. Two of my
0: friends lived there. You know, there was there was no shower. Like one of them showered, and they really have a kitty pool in the backyard, and <laughs> like have a hose, and you know, it's
1: like. <laughs> I love that. I love but that. It was,
0: but it was again the best. I learned more from that than. I did from grad school. I oh, learned well, for sure. so much, and that's why sure. I really started writing because it was my turn. Yeah, they're like, and you had to. They're like, your turn. We all wrote a play. It's your turn. I was like, shit, I gotta <laughs> bring this out into the world. And um, and I also met a. There was a company there called Latina Theater Lab that I ended up auditioning for and becoming part of the ensemble, and they nice. were very supportive of my writing too. So between Latina Theater Lab and Red Rocket and being in San Francisco. Mm. Chicano culture is so strong yeah. it was, especially because our theater was in the Mission, which is a very Chicano neighborhood. Right, whereas which now, now has been a, whereas a, now it obliterated is obliterated by tech yeah. bros, and it makes me really sad. So I have a hard time going back there. Mm. But um but it, it, it like did something to me. I was like, oh shit, I can I can write the voices in my head because mm. I'm seeing them. I go to see plays. I see people speaking Spanish and English. I I know that people will understand these people these characters in my head so yeah. that started to happen so that was the
1: that was a turning birth
0: point. of my playwriting <laughs> self <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, say it in your harvard voice <laughs> <laughs> yes. but i don't even, i can't do a boston accent it's <laughs> terrible but
1: yeah oh that's awesome uh, so we're like more than half an hour in, and we have not talked about your show at all. I, so stop, I, I just, just like start should... talking, and I don't. No, I, the, that, know, this is don't literally really... what the show is for. <laughs> this is literally what the show is for is for the guests to talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's talk. Uh, so I so you're still touring it, right? So the, yeah. so give my mom's friends a quick rundown of this wonderful, wonderful show called Fandango that I saw at La Mama Experimental Theater Club uh, down on East Fourth Street, uh, which I saw last week, or it closed last week there.
0: Yeah, it closed the fifteenth. At La Mama right. of February. So it's the the full name of it is called Fandango for Butterflies and Coyotes. Mm-hmm. And it's – let me explain what a Fandango is. Yes, please. It's, it's not just a movie ticket service. Yes. In fact, it's a word that, you know, f- heard in, you hear in Spain and other parts of Latin America. And it's like a party with music and uh, dancing. Um, and it takes different forms in different places. Mm. So the But the kind of Fandango that's like our inspiration or kind of container for the stories we're telling is – Based around the Veracruz style fandango, so southeastern Mexico, Veracruz mm-hmm. area, um, people gather, and this is something that's been going on for centuries. So people would get together, and and often, um, and it has, um, it kind of gathers together all of the roots of of well, son jarocho music is the kind of music they play, which you've probably heard, and you don't know you've heard, because mm-hmm. like La Bamba, that song La Bamba son, is a song, is an old, old, centuries old. Son Harocho song. Yes. And it's a protest song. It's which right I literally <laughs> did which I literally <laughs> which did is not so know. Cool. And then when that yeah. came up in
1: the show me and my friend who I brought with me, we just looked at each other like what the fuck? Like yeah. I had no clue that was a protest song. Yeah, originally. yeah. One
0: of one of the original versions of it. Um and uh, it was like um, free Africans and enslaved Africans in Veracruz protesting mm-hmm. things from the um, policy that with colonial government and but mm-hmm. it's also funny. You yeah. So it's anyway, and then people add verses and change verses. Right. So but basically that kind of music draws from Afro-Mexican roots it draws from indigenous roots it draws from Spanish roots um and people play these little instruments that kind of look like ukuleles but they're called and many other kinds of instruments but those are sort of the basis and then they dance on the tarima which is a wooden platform that's where the percussion comes from mm-hmm. like like in flamenco right yeah. so oh, it but, makes
1: me think of the cajon yeah, because I grew up. My True. family is Peruvian. and The cajón is an Afro-Peruvian instrument.
0: Exactly, and a lot of times, at least in, in Veracruz, um, people don't realize what a what a strong Afro-Mexican history mm. there is. It's not always like talked about or acknowledged. But people who were enslaved in Mexico, there was a point where they weren't allowed to play drums, and this happened in a lot of places because mm-hmm. it was like, considered a form of language and resistance. So right. they said, "Okay, well, these people from southern Spain are creating rhythms with their feet." We'll do that. We'll put the rhythms, the African rhythms, into our feet. Mm. And put, and then there are also sort of influences from indigenous practices as well. And so it's this beautiful form of music yeah. that people do. So they come together for Fandango, and it can be, you know, we're just going to have a party. And, or it can be a religious festival. Or it can mm. be um, a protest. And they can last two hours, or they can last three days. And people just play, and they get tired, and go get a drink. Someone else replaces and And it always happens in a circle. There's a sense of community, and there are certain rules. It's very like improv in the way that you're improvising verses, yeah. you're using classical forms, but also creating new verses, and people respond to Yeah, you. I mean,
1: there's something so just—it's such a universal concept. I feel like that—that yeah. that the concept, whether you call it fandango or you call it a hoedown or you call it the a cookout out or the yeah. cipher or whatever, like that concept of the community circle. Just coming together and fucking around just exactly. to escape the day to day political reality.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, those fandangos have you know been happening for centuries in Mexico, but as people migrated north, so did the fandangos. So, mm. you go in New York and you can, like, there's a whole fandanguero community here and you can go to fandangos That's and so anybody fun. can go, you know, and you have people from all over the world. You have people from not just Latin America, yeah. a lot of gringos. It's, it's really interesting. And um, so, I have two of my collaborators, uh-huh. Jose Zayas, a director. And Sinue Padilla, who's the musical director, they're very crucial in cre- helping create this play as it is now. We worked together for two and a half years yeah. on it.
1: So how did you develop this uh, this project?
0: Um, well, so originally, uh, Annie Hamburger, who runs On Guard Arts, she's artistic director of this company, um, commissioned me. She reached out and said, I want to create a piece she had been doing a lot of documentary theater, or, mm-hmm. or but she had done – she's just this amazing history of, of, like, producing theater in the 80s and 90s, like – one of the first companies to do site-specific theater. Oh. Um, she's really well known for that, and really like did, did a lot of amazing work.
1: That's dope. Which <laughs> for non-theatery moms' friends yeah. who are listening <laughs> to this, site-specific theater it, 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 that basically just means a, a piece uh, a, of theater, like a play or whatever, that is written for a specific location in the real world, as opposed yeah. to like putting it up in any. theater. It's not
0: usually like in a regular theater or right. a theater, yeah. so so she did all this adventurous stuff and then like Disney stole her away and said come create performance uh, theater stuff for our parks and so she started this whole division there and got it. was there for 10 years and then left and came back said I want to start my theater company again mm-hmm. and she started focusing it more on um, you know working with real people and documentary stories and she did one on a on veterans and PTSD, for example, and working with veterans, they interviewed people and created a piece on that. That they took to army bases, which is hard to do to get. So anyway, she she reached out and said, um, "I want to um, commission a piece based on interviews with folks that are undocumented, or, or whatever you want to do. But I want to address, I want to, I want to address these stories, and I want mm-hmm. to talk to people." And she had heard. And she came to you, she came, and she'd reached out to okay. me um, because I guess somebody else had. So she kind of interviewed me, but somebody had recommended me, and she read one of my plays, Got it. *Play it. and and then um, and then she hired me, and and then I said, well, I'd love to bring on Jose, who's a director I'd worked with, mm-hmm. and it, um, I started interviewing folks, and I started with friends that I knew, like good friends who were undocumented, and then from there, kind of meeting new people and. And he had a person she had met and another mm-hmm. person here. You know, so it kind of became this combination of folks I knew, yeah. folks I didn't know, but who kindly, so generously shared their stories with me. And um, and we were figuring out what it was, you know. And then we did a, a more verbatim, almost like Devere Smith style mm. version um, in that I was just using the text from, from like the I would interviews. Interview them, yeah. I would translate the inter- the parts that I was going to use. And then um, put together those sections. So almost right. like it was almost like a radio play, like different voices coming yeah. and, and telling their stories. And I picked sort of six of the people I'd kind interviewed. Kind of like
1: Laramie project Yeah, a little yeah.
0: bit more like that. Um, and we're working with Jose and we did a reading at Joe's Pub. And I um, also said it would be great to have music. And I know my friend, Sinue, who had been undocumented himself for many years, Um he, I, we brought him on, and he did a little bit of music. Mm. Um, and the original idea was like, we're going to do this as a series at Joe's Pub, and we're going to... Voices of immigrants from all around the world. And then we realized, like, well, first of all, it took so much work just to create the one that I did, you know, about the six immigrants from Latin America. Right. And we were like, there's also so many more stories here, and also, that's a crazy idea. Let's just focus on these. And And then it became this sort of process of... Working on it, um, trying to be in the same room at the same time, um, mm. thinking about how it can become more theatrical. Like, what's a theatrical event in a way? Like, so it's not just a radio play. In a right. Way. And we ended up doing this, one of these, you know, residencies at the Orchard Project up in Saratoga. They did one of these summer things where they bring artists and you can work on your piece for oh, cool. a couple, I think it was like a week, actually. And um, and Sinoe was there with us, the the musician. And he was telling us about Fandango and about how much he is involved in that community here. So he leads Fandangos here. And, mm. and then I had realized I had kind of been to some and we started. And then we realized, oh, I was like, this is, I think the three of us just collectively kind of went, oh, that, that's it. It's a Fandango. Yeah, that makes so much like, sense. Like people are gathering to come together to create a Fandango. And mm. this is a place where immigrant communities gather. And again, not only immigrant communities, immigrants, but... Um, It's a place where people come and they share stories and they, you know, people in the middle of fun line will be like, hey, my cousin just arrived and he needs a job. Okay. What do you, you know, or people will be like, hey, this book came out or we're going to go celebrate that, you know, so it's, people share all kinds of stuff. So that, you said, okay, that's what it is. And I'm putting together.
1: So is that where lyrics started to come into play or were you already writing lyrics before that?
0: No, we, yeah, we had it. It was all kind of instrumental Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and then, so, so two things needed to start to happen. One was like, how do we put? have to put these characters now in a room together who haven't necessarily been in a room together in real mm-hmm. life, right? So we ha- I have to mm-hmm. step away from documentary and right. fictionalize now. Yeah, the characters are now inspired by. And I always it was very important to me to always keep the folks I'd interviewed involved mm-hmm. as much as they wanted to be, and just invite them to different versions, share different versions with them. And so um, I told them, okay, now we're going to do a version. It's not going to be exactly you anymore, yeah. right? And I'm going to um, kind of invent things and I'll change the names. And um, and and then in Fandangos, you're often using traditional songs. So that's what the play is, a, a lot of traditional songs. But then um, in some cases, in a lot of cases, the lyrics have changed or they're more specific to the characters or um, – Sometimes we would write them in Spanish and I'd write them in English and mm-hmm. I would translate them in English for supertitles, but they're sung in Spanish. Sometimes they're sung in English. But either way, we would both talk about them. Okay, well this song needs to do this, needs to say this. Yeah. And I mean, then... I
1: personally I f- fucking loved the supertitles. I thought that was such like an excellent I t- I mean, I'm bilingual and I'm I'm sure most of the audience wasn't, but for yeah. me, like to be able to experience the show on both levels was okay. really was really, really Because I nice. know
0: they can be, you know, it can be distracting sometimes for people, super titles. But it depends. And other people really enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, like
1: I, I maybe it's just because of my immigrant family, but I've never watched, uh, I, I cannot enjoy, I have trouble enjoying like a movie or something if there are not subtitles on it. Even yeah. if I understand the language being spoken, I just really like having that option. And
0: sometimes it's just nice to be able to visually kind of connected yeah you know and so Espe- so that...
1: especially some there's so much that gets lost in translation too so if you're familiar with the spanish language to yeah. see like the word sueño it just like means something different yeah, than to the word dream it just really they means do right different. words yeah.
0: have different resonances yeah and, um and and yeah so w- with the, when a song is sung in english we'll put spanish supertitles. when it's sung in spanish we'll put english supertitles. Yeah. so hopefully everybody can who speaks one language or the other can understand. Mm. So, so yeah, so that was sort of the process. We, we I, I really wrote the new script, the new version of the script, really last summer. So, and wow. then So because I was up at a residency, and I, that's when I kind of had time to really...
1: And when were you it. conducting the first interviews?
0: Like 2017, so okay. two years before. Got it. So... Um, Yeah, so this new version of the script was really born pretty recently, Mm. like six months, seven months ago. And then we did a few workshops over the fall, um, different actors. Um, There's a lot of wonderful actors who helped us along the way, and not all of them could do the the show because, you know, it's TV and all this stuff. So we ended up having to hold auditions and then found these beautiful actors that (laughs) that had joined us. One of them, Carlo Alban, had been part of the workshops. Mm. Um, the one who plays Rogelio, that kind of poet. Oh, he was character. great. These, these three, co- those, those three cousins.
1: That song. Oh, my friend who I uh, came to the show with, the, but the um, I don't know the name of the song, but the two, the two lovers. Oh,
0: that's a song that um, a, a musician. Um, it's there's it's like a combination of traditional song and this musician that he that works in. Yeah, was, does, and then did wrote new Decimas for. So it's just, it was it's real painfully beautiful. It's gorgeous, and it's and that that's a real in a way. It's like a a collaboration between yeah. traditional music, this other, like, Zohan Ocho musician I mean, and Sinue. The show
1: is called La Mezcla. We love mixing. Yeah. <laughs> we love mixing, <laughs> mixing anything. It. There's the one, I know I'm paraphrasing it, but there's one lyric like, La otra que, que queda pensando, or something like oh, that, the yeah. one who stays thinking, yeah. like, oh, and that's... that's a beautiful lyric. That from, lyric stayed with from, me for uh, for a long time. From
0: this musician, and I'm forgetting his name now, but he's really wonderful. So, yeah, I think that's also interesting because it's hard to explain that like in western traditional conventions like the auteur and whatever and it's like well we're working with traditional forms and we're also working in a genre that people are constantly lending and borrowing and sharing stuff so it's 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 not not exactly right to say it's all original music because it's not it's traditional but it's an original version of it and then or it's a it's a dialogue with this yeah i you mean know? it's
1: as original as anything else everything is standing on the shoulders of the stuff that came before you're you just happen to be more honest about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: but it you know it's just interesting how, how that happens and, yeah and um
1: Oh no, I have yeah. I feel you. I have a lot of problems with like the way we fetishize auteurs, That's right. uh, which is uh, often not even the case. Y- yeah, no, yeah. and uh, I think it's telling that all of the auteurs are a specific type of of human. Exactly, and <laughs> like, in
0: a way, this is more more like hip hop in the sense of like your the, the you're communal sampling. aspect. And in that yeah. song that you're talking about, in a way, it's sampling this. This traditional music, it's sampling some of the, some of the lyrics of this other musician and it's creating something new and there's new lyrics and new, you know, so it's this whole recombination of, of things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. Okay. Uh, So we're sort of winding down on time. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to get in here?
0: Um, I don't know. Is there anything you want to ask? Um, I, don't <laughs> I realize know. I mean, that's so much. Very much putting you on this spot. No, I mean I think. I mean uh, you could always so come back. About, like bilingualism, and and then like you are just talking about that West Side Story article. There's, yeah. Oh yeah. There's just so many things that read. um, but. I, I don't I don't know. Just uh, we're excited to take the play to all five boroughs now. Yeah,
1: so the, tell, us <laughs> and, about, tell us about tell us that, because the show closed at La Mama, but now it's on house. a five-borough tour. Yeah, right? so we
0: went to Queens, LaGuardia Community College. Our next stop is Staten Island on mm-hmm. Friday, Snug Harbor. And then we go to the Bronx, Lehman College, and The Point in Hunts Point. Mm-hmm. And then we end up, we wrap up at Irondale Center in, in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, oh, at the end of March.
1: I really like, when I first saw that on the program, I was like, why isn't every show doing this like it's
0: really a pain in the ass (laughs) but it's really fun I can't even imagine
1: the logistics of it but as far because I feel like so many theater companies whether it's on the Broadway level or the off-Broadway level or the off-off-Broadway level like everybody talks a lot of shit about like reaching out to the community and Da-da-da-da, like we're changing the culture uh and i find i'm not super i'm more in the comedy world than the theater world these days um although i'd like to be uh i find that a lot of these places that talk a lot of shit about community outreach and whatever are very insular communities and yes. taking a very to me like oh no we're gonna tour the show to the boroughs uh, yeah. is that to me that is Real community outreach, like actually proactive community outreach.
0: And it was cool because at LaGuardia, you know, it wasn't a major league theater audience. Like somebody yeah. bought their class one of the people we interviewed Kim P. Lee came one of the characters like oh, that, I she's character. great she's great yeah. and, um, and she can use her real name she has documents now and she's comfortable like mm-hmm. sharing her real name um, and she brought a bunch of friends and she got up on the tarima after you know because yes. afterwards we asked the audience to come I, up I danced I, I danced, to, I danced after the, the show it was so great to get up and, any and, show
1: that ends and then all the cast is just like come dance and sing with us is my kind of show
0: <laughs> so it was awesome to have her one of the other interviewees came in Manhattan but but it's really it's beautiful be able to share it with people, yeah. Because that it's true. It happens a lot in the theater world. Though. They'll be like, "Oh, they'll reach out to the, like the one Latino they know and be mm-hmm. like, could you please, you know, get people or the one Latino theater company like, can you get your audience to come to our show?' I'm like, Well, what have, what have you done for us yeah. <laughs> lately? Like, have yeah. you have you do you support that Latino theater company? Do yeah. you take your audiences to see their shows? Because you probably don't. Yeah, you just want to use them. To I care. mean,
1: shit. I've had people ask me to be there, like. Latino voice in the room and I'm like you realize you're asking a a mixed person and be like the whitest Latino on the face of the planet like maybe you should think about like, the optics of this even a little bit
0: <laughs> oh, there's man. so much we could we could we have to go for, go out for a beer and talk about oh my god the, the theater industry uh, and absolutely. the invisibility of Latinos and I mean thing I
1: mean I'm more I'm, I'm auditioning for theater too but like I'm more in the film TV world and it's uh, it's the same thing oh, over sure. there it's yeah, the same sure. thing over there yeah oh yeah okay so let's uh, so let's wrap up on this uh which i've i guess i've been doing for the last like 10 episodes or so so if you uh if you had to give some advice to andrea let's say like uh, let's say like about to let, let's say still in wisconsin about <laughs> to go to away to school uh if you had to just like give some condensed advice to her well, what would you say to her
0: first if she would listen because she was kind of stubborn but sure. <laughs> yeah. assuming that she listens to assuming you she, um, yeah, you know I think a lot of it would be kind of trust yourself like mm-hmm. trust that that um I think I second guessed myself a lot and mm-hmm. there was a lot of reasons for that I think mm-hmm. I was constantly being told by the world that like my instincts were weird or different and my references are so weird I mean it, it I think a sense of trust yourself, trust also your particular voice, even though it might not be anything like anybody else's. Yeah. Um, and uh, and just have fun. Like you're not an outsider, right? I think I always felt a little bit like an outsider in Wisconsin. I got to school and I felt like that too. And I was like, stop assuming everybody else knows the deal. Like nobody knows shit. Just just do it. Just be, do it in your own way. And, and um, yeah, don't worry about that. I love that. It's hard not to worry, but hey. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. Oh, I just got goosebumps. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. And thank you for writing a beautiful show that I had the... Privilege of getting to see Thank and then to talk to you about. Thank
0: you for dancing. Oh, that's st- the best How part. can you
1: not? How can you not? That was the best. I mean, the show it's was beautiful, favorite. but it no, was I the love best it part. The Just to know. like re- be actually be a part of it, to be yeah. invited into it. Again, like a genuine gesture of like w- outreach as opposed to like the performative gesture of outreach. Well,
0: that's a, what a fandango is, right? Yeah. And we we tell the fandango, like, we tell people, if you come with a harana or a fandango, you can get him free. That's so dope. So bring a ukulele next time and you can come in and see it for free. You hear that? The Bronx and Brooklyn? <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> bring yeah. a harana. Bring your ukulele <laughs> and haranas. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for coming again. Welcome Thank back you. anytime. That's it for this week's episode of La Mezcla. Thank you so much to Andrea for coming in. Thank you to Adlarge Studios for having me and Carly Hogendijk for hooking me up with the studio space. Uh, Thank you to everybody who's listening. Please remember to uh, rate and review on iTunes and subscribe on uh, whatever platform you listen to this on and like it on Facebook and Instagram. I know it's what everybody says, but it actually makes a big difference. Uh, and I'm trying to grow this show increasingly people I don't know are reaching out to me about uh, this weird little project that I started in my bedroom and uh, I I can't thank you guys enough for that so please keep spreading the word uh, and buy your tickets for the live show on March 19th at 7pm at Caveat on the Lower East Side that ticket link is in the description I hope you have a great week uh, and you know at some point this week do something to uh, support an immigrant owned business Just, uh, just go do that just to be more thoughtful about shit. I don't know. Be nice to people. I'm continuing Longtime listeners will know that um, the outros for the show usually devolve into my personal neuroses. So this is a uh, this is pretty this is this is that. So okay, I'm going to end it now. Goodbye. I
0: got a long way to go, but as far as I know, I'm stay on this road man, what
1: I'm